0: chapter 15 the last frontier sam's parents jim and laura Mahoy, had brought a motorhome made from an older greyhound bus to get him and princess by the time everyone was inside with all their baggage the passenger section with its three rows and big chairs was fully loaded they put sam in the front passenger seat that had swiveled to face backward his mom took the opposite seat and his dad drove Don sat in the chair behind the table and everyone else found seats nearby the twins took posts on either side of Don and held her hands in theirs. A happy chatter drowned out all else as they pulled away from the airport. Above the rumbling of the big diesel engine and happy talk, Sam could hear princesses' clarion laughter. It was like the tinkling of a silver bell to a soul. Anchorage was a surprisingly bustling city. Sam marveled at all the new construction, new homes, and new roads. It seemed almost as if the city had recently awakened and was rushing to recover from a long sleep. They drove through road constructions almost the entire way until the city suddenly ended at a lush birch forest crowded the road on both sides. It was a beautiful sunny day. Sam watched the breathtaking beauty of rugged mountains so close that in winter some parts of the city were in perpetual shade. The mountains were pristine as if newly made. They were grand majestic mountains of granite, balustraded with outcroppings of stone and unscathed by time as if cut only yesterday from virgin stone. Though deep into summer, they still sported white patches of snow snuggled into deep ravines. Everywhere he looked was green. Having so recently come from Switzerland, the comparison between these two worlds was inescapable. The Glen Highway found its way through lush forest until the Cook Inlet squeezed them tight up against the towering Chugach Range. For the briefest distance, it seemed as if there would be insufficient room for a road between these two unyielding forces of nature. At the last moment, the road turned left, crossed the Kink and Matanuska rivers in a series of low bridges, transversing the tidal flats at the mouth of the inlet. Sam was amazed to see several moose grazing knee-deep in the lush grasses of the tidal flats. They turned left onto the park's highway, which almost seemed to be a black velvet ribbon positioned across the gentle rolling hills of lush, lush birch and spruce forest. There were few businesses, few homes, and few signs of man until they approached the small city of Wasilla. Wasilla had little to recommend itself except Stark Beauty, the city was unincorporated, with no commerce, no industry, and no reason for its existence except its relative closeness to Anchorage. Dad, Sam asked in above the din of the bus, what fuels Alaska's economy and why and where do the people in Wasilla work? Sam listened as his dad explained the odd economics that made this little town work. The Trans-Alaska Pipeline is just being completed. The 800-mile Engineering Marvel is bringing a 48-inch steel pipe from furthest north shores to the state of the tiniest village of Valdez on the south. It crosses two major mountain ranges, including the Brooks Range, one of the most rugged in North America. It crosses four major rivers, including the Yukon, and hundreds of lesser ones. Its entire length is primarily above ground, on refrigerated pillars and insulated its entire length. It has 11 major pump stations that use Rolls-Royce jet engines to pump the hot crude across the incredible distance. Operating to full capacity, it is capable of pumping nearly 2 million barrels of prime Alaska crude a day. Sam was amazed. That's a lot of crude. What's a barrel of crude go for? Jim, obviously interested and conversant on the subject, answered. At a spot price of $15 a barrel, the pipeline pumps out $30 million in gross revenues a day, nearly a billion dollars a month. Of that incredible sum, some 10% goes directly to the state of Alaska as royalties. Don was listening closely. It's no wonder... Yeah, I think that's Don. It's no wonder all of Alaska seems to be in a frenzy of construction everywhere you look. It's really amazing, Jim replied. Anchorage is nestled in... ...on a narrow strip of land between the Shuga Mountains and the Cook Inlet. After nearly ten years of booming pipeline prosperity, there's very little room for development. People had to look toward Wasilla. Nearly every parcel of land that could be developed was, and land prices were soaring, with costs so high and the economy so vigorous, people soon looked for cheaper ground. They found it in the nearly unlimited lands of the valley with so much land available, prices dropped, and the people came in droves, one hand on a shovel and the other with a mortgage. That's why I started building homes, Jim explained. Even though there's not much more than a grocery store and a post office, Jim went on, Wasilla has more than forty thousand residents. Hundred dollars Yeah, hundred dollars seems more common than ones, and there are too many new homes to count. Laura, Sam's mother, spoke up, Even so, part of the charm of Wasilla is that the dense birch forests hide most of the signs of development, and the valley has maintained its beauty. At the main intersection in town, the motorhome turned left once again toward the inlet. They drove through lush forests for five more miles before turning left onto a dirt road, right again for several miles on a very winding road, and right a short distance up a lane. They stopped before a large wood-frame home, it was unfinished inside and out, but Sam could see the promise of a beautiful home in its graceful lines. The Mohoys had purchased a five-acre piece of land for not much more than a signature—a hundred dollars down and a hundred dollars a month. Once the loan for the land was paid off, every dime they made went into building materials. Though the house home was not much to look at, in time it would be, and it was theirs. In keeping with the Alaskan spirit of stark individualism and rugged self-sufficiency, they had no mortgage on their home. It was the most breathtaking, beautiful setting for a home Sam had ever seen. They had cleared away a part of the dense birch forest to reveal that their prop- property sat on a bluff overlooking the Cook Inlet. The Sugar Mountains rose majestically across the glistening waters. Anchorage sat nestled far to the right, barely visible in the afternoon sun. Before going into the home, Jim took them to the garden just south of the house. Sam couldn't believe his eyes. Jim pointed out rows of cabbage plants with heads... "'approaching three feet in diameter. "'He then directed their attention to a row of pea vines "'as tall as man's armpits, "'each laden with peas nearly four inches long. "'They pulled thick orange carrots from the rich soil "'as sweet as candy and ate raspberries as big as his thumb. "'They walked slowly through the greenhouse and ate cucumbers, "'as succulent as if they had been marinated in some divine nectar "'and tomatoes as large as his fist.' Dawn, now Princess, had never seen a vegetable garden, let alone a garden in Alaska. By her definition, a garden had roses, sculpted shrubs, and fountains. It seemed entirely novel to her that a garden could yield edibles. She walked up and down the rows, asking questions, laughing, wondering, sampling, and sifting the rich loam through her hands. Jim and Princess remained in the garden several hours after Sam and all the rest had gone inside. Several times, Sam glanced at them out the dining room window and caught them laughing, or saw Jim peeling a large kohlrabi with his pocket knife. He wondered how many people in the world could turn a garden into a loving introduction to a phenomenon called home. The inside of the home lacked everything. All the floors were plywood, and the exception was the kitchen and one bathroom. Though they were obviously living in an unfinished home, they were not wanting for signs of industry. All the plywood floors had been sanded and painted, Only half of the walls had sheetrock on them, and the other half were pink insulation covered with plastic. Even these had pictures, small shelves with family treasures and signs of loving habitation. The one completely finished room in the house was the upstairs bath. It was massive, but with both an oversized bathtub and separate shower stall, accessible through different doors to be used simultaneously, it included a laundry chute that dropped the dirty clothes into the cupboard directly above the wash machine. Two sinks had been installed, one of which was outside the bathroom in an area always available, even when the doors were locked. There there was a large closet inside the bath and a large window overlooking the inlet. Even Princess proclaimed, It's magnificent! High praise from the one who grew up in a castle. Princess made a collect call to her father and assured him all was well. Everyone finally ended up together in a large living room, looking out the big windows across the inlet. It grew quiet, and everyone drew a breath of peace and togetherness. It was one of those rare moments when, just for a moment, despite their unfinished surroundings, everything was perfect. Well, it's late, Jim said as he slid to his knees. Sam watched in wonder as the lifelong tradition continued. He could not remember a night in his youth when this scene had not been replayed. Sam knelt and felt Beth's hand slip into his left and Princess's into his right. Even though he was exhausted, it seemed too early for bed. He glanced at the old grandfather clock, and it was amazed as he was nearly midnight. Outside, it was still daylight, just moving beyond twilight. Sam, will you pray for us? His father asked quietly. A gentle peace settled over Sam, and he nodded. It was indeed good to be home.